Hola, you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast, the only podcast on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title. If you're new here, welcome. My name is Brandon Harper. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job with lots and lots of opinions. So I come here about once every week or so to get them off my chest. I've got three dogs. Two that are half lab, half golden retriever named Bentley and Bronco. They're two years apart. And a five-year-old Belgian Malinois named Gypsy. Between the four of us, we've about seen it and done it all. I used to live down in Paradise. Well, what some would call Paradise. San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. I've since relocated to Corpus Christi, Texas, where I am an owner, operator, janitor, secretary of a brewery called New Aces Brewing Company. That's spelled N-U-E-C. Yes, I've got a pretty good lineup for you today. For those who don't know, I don't talk about paradise anymore. I used to talk about my life down there in Nicaragua, but now I've kind of moved on back to the real world. So I talk about things that I think about and learn about. Most of the time it's cryptocurrency, finance, dogs, business, a little politics, but mainly it's human behavior. I like to dissect the behavior of humans and dogs figure out what's motivating to people, figure out what demotivates them. For some reason, that's interesting to me. So I pay close attention to that and I come here to share it. Chances are you'll disagree with some of my opinions and I'm okay with that. As long as you're friendly, I truly believe that the world would be a better place if people could learn to disagree without being disagreeable. So now that you've got the lowdown and haven't changed the channel, sit back, relax, and let me run the thermostat for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. Now let's talk about freedom for a second. Right now, a lot of people want to take away our freedom. Them little woke haters. But what we gonna do right now is pour up, open up a big, tall can of freedom. Because if you love it like I love it, then let me hear you say freedom. What's up to my homies? Today is November 21st, 2021. It's a nice, warm 74 degrees outside with no humidity. If that ain't good weather, I don't know what is. Here in South Texas, we get Southern California weather about three months out of the year. The rest of the time, it's blazing hot and usually humid. But it's nice today, so I'm sitting in the podcast studio with the doors open and dogs roaming about. You might hear some some random barking, but that's okay. It just gives it another layer of authenticity. I'm going to start out today with a little update on the uh, the state of the vaccine mandate. Uh, I know everyone knows, but right now the um, 
the vaccine mandates tied up in the Court of Appeals. Uh, Dictator Biden thought that he could lay out a requirement for all businesses that had 100 employees or more to force their employees to get a vaccine or get fired. And I know for the frequent listeners, you kind of know where I stand, but I've been getting quite a few uh, new listeners lately, so I kind of want to break down why I think that this is an overreach. First of all, the, the president can't just sign laws into order. He can sign executive orders, but executive orders can't be used to require the public sector to do things, unless it's truly a national emergency. So we all obviously have our point in time at which we think, okay, now is a good time for the president to require blank. And, and I understand that everyone's threshold is different. Everyone has a different point in time in which they would say, okay, we need to, to mandate this to require this so that this, whatever the outcome doesn't happen. But I just don't think we're there with COVID. Let me tell you why. COVID's been around for almost two years now. I guess we're like two months shy of, of really knowing WTF is going on. And in that two years, COVID, if we trust the numbers, if we, if we admit that all those numbers are correct, that we're seeing that are reported through the New York Times and all these aggregators who are putting these statistics out, if we believe wholeheartedly in those statistics, about 800,000 people have died from COVID. Now, personally, I believe that number's inflated. I've, I've covered that reason in, in past episodes, but it, it boils down to money being an incentive for people to lie about the statistics. So that's all I'm going to say about that right now. But let's just say that we do take the statistics at their face value and 800,000 people have died in two years. If you break that down in terms of percentages, and I'm a huge fan of putting things in terms of percentages because numbers can be misleading, right? If you have one death per year of children who fall into buckets headfirst full of water and drown, one death per year doesn't sound like all that much. There's only one person per year. So obviously we're not going to make rules or laws to regulate that because the risk of it happening doesn't warrant a change in regulation. So if you take that one child who died per year, who fell into a bucket and got stuck and drowned, but then I come to you and I say, hey, the kid drowning in buckets, the number has doubled in the last year. What? The number's doubled? We got to do something. We got to change something. Well, I mean, it went from one to two. Oh, okay. Well, that's not so bad. So numbers can be misleading. Saying things like doubled or tripled or quadrupled or are up by X percentage can be misleading. But they're more factual and more accurate than just using a, a number saying, well, we had 800,000 people die from this disease. We have to do something. Well, did we have 800,000 people die in a week or did we have 800,000 people die over two years? And of that 800,000, let's look at the demographics. Let's break down who are these people? Why are they dying? What's their age? What's their weight? How in shape are they? And we have to remember that the media makes money on clicks. So when they post things like 4,000 people died this month from COVID, they don't give you any other information that will create less fear because fear is what sells clicks. So let's go back to the 800,000. 800,000 people died from COVID in two years. Okay, what percentage of those people were under the age of 75? And I'll tell you the answer to that. 0.3. of those people were under the age of 75. Okay, well, a lot, it's killing older people. Sure, I can understand that. Okay, 
So what percent of the total population has COVID killed in two years? You guessed it, 0.3% as well. So of the 800,000 people that have died from COVID, 99.7 of them have been over the age of 74. Of the 800,000 people that have died from COVID, that makes up 0.3% of our total population. That means this virus has come through it's wiped out 0.3% of our country's population. That may seem scary, but that's got nothing on the cancer or the diabetes. So if you even break it down further than that and you say, okay, let's look at how many people or what percentage of the population it's killed per year. That comes up to 0.015. So per year, COVID is responsible for 0.015% of our population's deaths. And only a fraction of those is below the age of 75. Now, I know some of you might be saying, you're acting like people who are 75 or older don't even matter. No, no, I'm not. And if you can't see the correlation there, then I can't help you. Okay, yes, I, I can try to help you a little bit. My whole point is that we need to accommodate the people who are high risk and not accommodate or not force people who are low risk to be accommodating while at the same time decreasing their quality of life. I'm digressing as usual. I want to go back to the whole vaccine uh, mandate thing. I'm going to read a little bit of an article that I read um, talking about the vaccine mandate and the judges on the panel. And then I'm going, to, I'm going to break into something after that. So here's just a snippet of this article. Uh, I don't even remember where it's from. This is probably illegal. But uh, anyway, I didn't write this article. I read it some, somewhere, but I'm too lazy to, <laughs> to write down where I read it. So. So it leads into this sentence. All three judges on that panel, they're talking about the panel of judges that are looking at the case, are conservatives, including two appointees of President Donald J. Trump. It was not immediately clear which judges on the Sixth Circuit would be assigned to hear the matter, nor whether they would decide to carry forward with an injunction against the mandate or would instead let the government proceed for now amid briefings and arguments. My question is, why are... Are we making this a left and a right thing? Why does it matter if the judges are conservative? Like judges are appointed and put into place because they are expected to be fair and just. And these types of articles do nothing but divide us. They do nothing but rile up one side or the other. I mean, do judges have to declare which party they're with? No, they don't. They typically don't, but people start digging on them and they, they look at all their case rulings and they think that, well, they're, they're more conservative than liberal, than, than liberal, so they're going to just always side with the Republicans and that's so scary. To me, that's, you're, you have more faith. If you're saying that kind of crap, you have more faith in our, in our political affiliation than, than our judicial system. Like, do you really think that judges are going to take politics into play? Hey, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know a lot of judges. I'm not really connected to the court world. But there's a faith in me that thinks that our, our judges that we're appointing and we're electing or we're putting into place, if we think there's a chance that they're going to side with parties over upholding the law, then we got it all wrong. We got it all backwards. So that's why I'm not sure that we do. I think that this is the, the media spinning something to make it more political, more partisan than it should be. The, the idea of the, the COVID should not be politically divided blows my mind. Actually, no, it doesn't. This is, this is about what I expect these days. 
Regardless, I think that this whole mandate is a, is a political overreach. It is a governmental reach into our lives requiring that we get a vaccine for something that's only killed 0.015% of the population per year. If that's not overreach, if that's not taking it too far, then where is? I, I would like to know if you disagree with me and you think, no, no, it's a good thing. We, we need to get the vaccination. We need to force people to get it or we need to fire them because people are dying. Okay. At what point would you say we don't need to do that? Because right now we're at 0.015% of our population per year is dying from COVID. So where would that number need to be for you to say, okay, we can make it optional. <laughs> we can, you can have the choice. If it's low enough, you can have the choice. Where is that low enough? Where's that threshold? Because that's what this is all about. But people don't understand statistics. They don't know how to break things down. They just go off their emotions. They see the Tyvek suits. They, they see the, the masks everywhere. And it makes them nervous. It makes them fearful. And so they just perpetuate that fear. And when someone is fearful and they see someone who is unfearful, more than likely they're going to feel like, well, you can probably guess how you would feel. If you were terrified of something and you saw someone who was walking around totally fearless, you would think either they're brave or they're stupid. And more than likely, you would think that they're stupid because they're not as scared as you are. Let that sink in for a second. When you, if you're scared of the COVID and you're a masker and you're telling everyone, which I don't know, by now, no one's probably listening to this podcast who is still thinking that masks are great and they've already tuned out by now, but Put yourself in the position of being someone who is terrified and seeing people who don't care that are walking around without masks and you think they're stupid because most people won't admit, yeah, he's way more brave than I am. People don't admit that. They say, well, he's stupid. He doesn't understand the dangers. And people use the, the vaccine mandate and the mask and all this as equalizers. So 0.3%, 0.015% per year. If you think vaccine mandates are good, I would love to know where you would draw the line and say, okay, if we get down to this percentage of death per year, we don't need to have the vaccine mandate. Well, I don't know what it is, but I'm not an expert, but I trust a scientist. Have we heard that before? My whole point is that the vaccine mandate is a complete and utter governmental overreach in the name of power and money. Please share your opinion with me using numbers and percentages. Okay, moving on. That was 14 minutes of COVID rambling. You lucked out. You didn't get any last week, so there was your dose. Something that's been happening at the brewery um, regularly is that we'll hire a new person for whatever job it may be. They'll do great for X amount of time, and then after a while, they start, you know, they start wearing down a little bit. Uh, the mistakes become more frequent. They just become a little bit more careless. So I've been struggling or racking my brain to try to figure out how to keep people motivated or what to do in order to make them want to work. Because ultimately, if someone's not happy working, they don't need to be working there. And I've always stood by that. If an employee is slipping, I could tell they're not happy, I would encourage them to go. Go find somewhere where you're happy. Life is too short to work at a place that you're not happy with. Now, I do think that a lot of them have a false sense of reality. And I do think that our brewery is probably one of the most fun places anyone could work at. But I still encourage people to leave if they're not happy. Because... Regardless of what I think, it's all that matters is what they think. So happy employees makes happy customers. I say all that because there was, a, uh, there was an issue with an employee who kept making the same mistakes over and over and 
you know, it, it, I wouldn't say it was dangerous, but it, it could have been dangerous had someone been at the wrong place at the wrong time. And so my business partner and I, you know, we got, we got frustrated uh, with a couple of these guys. And then I got to thinking about it. Like, what is it that causes someone who's younger to make multiple mistakes over and over again? But if you're older, you kind of tend not to do it. And it's just, it's common sense. You know, if you, if you think about it, as you grow older, you have more experiences, you make more mistakes, you learn how to fix them, or you don't. You're the kind of person that doesn't and just makes the same kind of mistakes your whole life. In this particular case, these are sharp kids, so they just need time to learn. And so it's hard for me to remember what it's like to be 23 and, and just, you know, your whole focus is where are you going to go when you get off work? Fast forward to 43, and when I'm at work, all I'm focused on is work. There's nothing else really that goes through my mind unless it's a dire emergency. But for the most part, I'm focused on work, and I want to get as much done as I can. I want to be extremely efficient, not only because it's my business, but that's just my personality. And so when someone makes a stupid mistake a couple times in a row, it really frustrates me. But if I rewind time to when I was 23... I think I was probably the same way. I don't, I don't know for sure. But from their perspective, from the 23-year-old's perspective, they don't know what it's like to be 43 and look at something and understand the physics and know that, okay, okay if you do this wrong, this could happen. And the reason that you do know that when you're 43 is because you've made the mistake. You've done it before. It's happened over and over again. So I think there's a, there's a disconnect there, and it, and it matters when you have – Two people who are working closely or one's working for another, and there's a big age difference because I've forgotten what it's like to be young, and he doesn't know what it's like to be old. And he thinks right now, and I know this because I thought the same thing, that I know everything at 23 that I'll know at 43, and I probably won't pick up much information along the way. Well, that's a complete and utter lie because what I learned in the 20 years from 23 to 43 is probably equal to the amount that I learned from zero to 23. Maybe not. Maybe not the same amount, but it was a, a large amount that I've learned along the way. And so, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting to share. If you work in or around older people or younger people, you know, try your hardest to put yourself in their shoes and understand what's, what's causing a breakdown if one's happening. And I think patience is probably the answer. Is you have to just be patient with people. Now, some people aren't mentally cognitive enough to avoid the same mistakes over and over. But when you're talking about physical labor and things like that, it, it shouldn't be something that you can't overcome. If someone can't overcome making a mistake dealing with physical product, then they don't need to be in that position. Okay, moving right along. In each episode, I try to talk a little bit about the future in relationship to our daily lives and, and what I see happening. I try to follow technology pretty closely. I'm not a tech geek. I'm not a gadget guy. I'm not one of those guys who can just figure out how to write code. I'm actually far from super tech savvy, but I do enjoy and appreciate and stay up on what's, what's coming because mainly for investment purposes, if you can, you can see trends forming, you can make money and that's all there is to it. So I also really, really enjoy businesses, how they operate, studying them. To, to me, it's like a combination of a game and a soap opera. You know, watching executives make decisions and strategy 
is, is extremely interesting to me. So I follow this stuff pretty closely. I think about it a lot. But one thing that's becoming easier and easier with the new technology that we have coming is fractionalizing things. And I've talked a couple of weeks ago about fractionalizing your asset in order to borrow money and using the equity as collateral. But I want to talk about another use case for fractionalizing things and using uh, cryptocurrency is consumption of media or consumption of, let's just say, technology. You know, the reason why we don't pay per listen of songs or pay per click of video is because it's, it's a little bit too difficult to manage how much time you watched, convert that into dollars, deduct those dollars from your account. But with cryptocurrency, that's a different story. And we also have to put trust into the people who are managing that process and to say, well, you know, if I watched 30 seconds, how do I know if someone's not going to round it up to 31 or round it down to 30? And so what changes this are what's called smart contracts. And I've talked about them before, but it's basically a contract that's written out and managed by AI, artificial intelligence. And it says, okay, if this user watches this many seconds of this video, deduct this number of Satoshis or whatever cryptocurrency you want to pick from this user's account or send them a bill for it. And this hasn't worked in the past for a couple of reasons. Number one is that the transaction costs are too high to, to run fractional transactions, right? I mean, we, until now, we really had no way to move around less than a penny unless we went to some other foreign currency, which we're not going to do. So the ability to have something that makes the decisions and all the rules and guidelines are set into place without human intervention is one. And number two, that we have the ability to move around fractions of pennies for free. So I think that's going to be a good thing. I think consumers will benefit by being able to pay uh, for their usage. So I think this will also apply to cell phone data, cell phone minutes, all those things. You'll just pay, you'll pay for usage. And I know some cell phone companies have tried this before, but it's never really worked because of the reasons that I just mentioned. So that's what you have to look forward to. To me, it sounds pretty cool. Let me know what you think about it. We are at the beginning of a new era. In fact, this is something that President Macron and I talked about extensively. And in, then, this moment, for nations who are partners and allies, we must together, work together, what? to see where we are, where we are headed, where we are going, and our vision for where we should be. What in the world did all that even mean? Let's try that again. We are at the beginning of a new era. In fact, this is something that President Macron and I talked about extensively. And in, then, this moment, for nations who are partners and allies, we must together, work together. We must together? To see where we are, where we are headed, okay. where we are going, and Got our it. vision for where we should be. Oh, okay. But also see it as a moment, yes, to together address the <laughs> challenges and to work on the opportunities that are presented by this moment. What? These are the people that are leading the country, bro. These are the people who are leading the country. That speech, let's just say that's not even the whole speech. That's just part of it. What a bunch of gobbledygook. We must together work together. What? Did someone put some typos in your teleprompter? 
Have you given no thought to the situation where you are and what you talked about? Are you so unaware of the of this topics that you just discussed with the president of freaking France that you have to read from a teleprompter and you still can't get it right? I think so. I think these are the kinds of people that we're electing. Who's okay with this? I don't care if she's black, white, Indian, mixed. It doesn't matter to me. I wouldn't care who she was. I wouldn't care how old or white or black or Indian or transgender or LGBTQ, WTF. None of that matters. These people are not qualified. They're not qualified. And what ends up happening is lobbying firms make the rules. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. This woman has no business managing a popsicle stand, much less being the vice president of the United States. Doesn't even know what she talked about. She was in a meeting with the president of France and comes out and reads some gobbledygook scripted speech that she got all wrong. Can't even rely on her own thoughts. But she's a woman and we need women. We don't. We don't need people that are that stupid. I'm sorry. We don't. I don't care if she's a woman. We don't need dumb people in charge of the country. They get taken advantage of by the smart people who are out for money. As all of you know, the verdict was just released for the Kyle Rittenhouse trial on Friday afternoon. I'm not going to give much opinion about this whole thing, and I don't think anyone should either. Here's what really bothers me, is that we've got people who sit at work all day, or they sit at home, and they watch clips of this trial, and they see the video, and they say, he was guilty, you could just tell, that son of a bitch, he, you can't just walk around with an AR-15 shoot people, he shot him, he killed him, he's guilty of murder, it's that simple, you don't even need no trial, really dude, really, don't even need a trial, uh, so why do people spend three years going to law school, a year studying for the bar, and then tons of time practicing as a baby attorney before they represent criminals in the court of law. If it was that simple, we would just watch the video and fry the people. But it's not that simple. So you, you have to separate your emotions and how you feel about the thing to automatically assume that someone goes free because they're black or they're white. I mean, you're discounting the entire court system. You're saying that you don't trust those 12 people on the jury. You're saying that you don't trust the, the district attorney and their, their charges. You're saying that you don't trust the judge. I mean, to sit around and say, our court system broken, man. You don't know anything about the court system. All you know is that when you've had to defend yourself for traffic tickets or whatever you've done wrong. And it just blows my mind that all of a sudden you have these experts that come out and they tell you what's wrong with it, what's wrong with the system. And how it's all racist. Everybody's out to get everybody. So my point is, I don't think it's our position to say what we think or what happened. I think it's interesting to dissect the trial and listen to the, the, uh, the arguments of the attorneys. And I said the same thing about the George Floyd case. It's not our position. We can formulate our opinions, but they're not worth arguing about because they're just our opinions. We don't have access to the facts. We were on the jury. That jury sat there for two or three weeks and listened to all the deliberation and all the cross-examination. They were given elements of each crime by the judge. He would explain to them what had to happen in order to be convicted of these crimes and what could be thrown out because of this. So many nuances, so many details. And people want to fight about it because they watched a 15-minute clip. 
You got the president of the United States saying he's disappointed in the outcome. He wasn't there. The guy probably couldn't even spell Rittenhouse. I mean, why are these politicians taking sides in court cases? Blows my mind. This is pandering at its finest. And if you're okay with this, if you're okay with, with, with political leaders publicly speaking out about court cases, I don't know, man. That, that's going to be a problem because they will have the ability to steer the outcome of these, these trials. Every lawyer that, that watched this trial said he's going to walk a week ago. They said he was overcharged. They said that the prosecutor was terrible. They said that his attorney was bad as well, but he wasn't as bad as a prosecutor. And so if you're one of these people who walks around whining and screaming every time a conviction doesn't go your way, and you think that a three-minute video is enough to convict someone, you know what I hope? I hope you end up on trial one day, and I hope you're innocent, and I hope there's a, a video, and I hope you get found guilty. I really, really do. Because it's not fair. It's not fair to, to put more faith in your own opinion from watching some three-minute clip than to trust our entire judicial system. I'm not saying our legal system's perfect. It has flaws. Surely innocent people go to jail and guilty people get acquitted. But there's nowhere else in the world that does it better than I know of. Now, after conviction, sure, there's lots of things we could do differently. But as far as our legal system... And I know that people complain about it takes good money to have a good attorney. Well, what else in life does it take good money to have good blank? Oh, that's right. Yeah, everything. Until someone can explain to me a better way to provide equal legal representation for all, I just can't. I can't be for it. I know that it sucks, but rich people buy better things. They, they buy better health care. They, they buy better cars. They fly first class so they can afford better legal representation. I know this is going to offend a lot of you. You're going to get all butthurt about it and say, but it's not fair that poor people can't afford attorneys. Yeah. You know what? Okay. It's also not fair that poor people can't afford Rolls Royces. My whole point is that all you should hope for is a fair trial. I don't care if a white guy killed a black guy. I don't care if a black guy killed a white guy. I don't care if a Mexican killed a Chinese guy. I don't care if a white guy burned a building down. I don't care if a black guy burned a building down. I don't care if an Arab crashed a plane into the World Trade Center. All we should really hope for, all we should strive for, are fair trials. I encourage everyone to go be on jury duty. Go contribute. Don't be the idiot that tries to get out of it and then complains about the legal system. Be the person who steps up and goes, and listens, and gets selected for jury, and provides great feedback, and leave all your biases at home. That's the kind of pe people we should strive to be. Not these armchair lawyers who take high-profile cases four times a year and pretend like they know better than the jury. I just have no respect for those kinds of people. Which leads me to my next topic. I recently had to cut somebody out of my life, and I typically am not a fan of doing this. But after going through with this person... I encourage everyone that if, if they rub you the wrong way or you feel a certain way when you see their name on your phone or their text messages or their Facebook comments, and that's all you need to use to make your decision, the way that you feel when you're interacting with these people. If it's not a good feeling, if you don't like the way that interacting with someone makes you feel, and I'm typically am not a good, I'm not a big proponent of making decisions based on feelings but there's really no other way to, to justify this or to quantify it. And so I'm going to briefly kind of run through um, what happened with, with me and this individual. And we've been friends for a long time, really good friends for a long time. But over time, we've grown apart. 
we were raised completely differently. We had different values. We had different priorities. In our younger adult years, we have different priorities today. And so I just got to thinking, why do I keep putting up with this? Now, this particular person is pretty smart. They're, they're somewhat smart in some areas, but they think they're smarter than they really are. And I was constantly being barraged for being closed-minded. And this person was always trying to change my mind about something, pick a topic. And they knew exactly what my opinion was going to be before they contacted me. But they would always contact me, try to pick a fight, tell me that I was stupid, tell me that I was a redneck, tell me that I was closed-minded, tell me that I was a Fox News junkie. And I just had enough. I thought to myself, this person no longer knows me. They, they think they do because their mind has been pumped full of CNN and and media outlets that convince them that if you believe X, then you also believe Y. And if you believe Y, you also believe Z. And if you believe Z, you also believe double A. And if you believe double A, you also believe AB. And you see how this change just keeps going. So these people hear this all day with all the media that they consume. And then they take people from their life and they pick one or two values that's important to that person. And they shove them into the box that the, that the media outlet has told them to, to shove people into. This happens going both directions. The Fox News infiltrates the brains of the, the right, and then they take one Black Lives Matter protester, and they lump them into a group of rioters and killers and murderers and baby neglectors. And there is nothing you can do to convince these people that your thoughts are different than what they think. And just because you have an opinion that doesn't coincide with theirs, they, it, they get confirmation bias where they think to themselves, oh, I knew it. I knew he was just a stupid redneck Republican and he's defending this Kyle Rittenhouse who just walks around with an AR-15 military assault rifle shooting people, trying to do good at a protest. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, you're wrong. You are completely wrong about me. I don't have enough information to make a decision and I don't think you do either. Well, what, what was I, he accused me of being, oh, using diversionary tactics and that my opinion was hilarious. And, and when I read that, I thought, you know what? And I told this to this guy. I said, you're not here for a dialogue. You're here to vent. And I'm done. I'm done with it. I'm done with you. I'm over it. You have no respect for my opinion. Oh, wait, unless, unless you contact me about, um, hey, man, we're looking at buying this house. Can you look over the inspection report? Yeah, sure. Here's 45 minutes of my time. Hey, dude, I bought this house. Can you take a look at these pictures of the swimming pool and tell me what you think we need to do? Yeah, sure. Here's 15 minutes of my time. Hey, we're thinking about putting an attic pull down in the attic. Can you, can you look at these pictures and tell me if it'll work? Yeah, sure. Here's five minutes of my time. Hey, is it too late to buy Ethereum? Um, should I buy Bitcoin? Hey, what stock should I buy? And when it comes to those things, then yeah, oh, they're real nice. And they, you know, please help me. Give me your opinion. Hey, um, can you look over this business plan for me? I'm just, I'm real not sure about it. My, my friend made it. Yeah, sure. Here's 45 minutes of my time. But God forbid we don't agree or I'm not willing to engage in a fight about a political topic. Because I'm not. Because I know that he's not there to discuss. He's not there to enter an open dialogue to see how I think and, and want to hear my analytics and how I break it down. That's not what it's about. It's about hearing a news story, thinking you know the answer, and then pegging your friend into a box. And then when he speaks a little teeny tiny bit of an opinion, it's not enough. 
or you're not willing to engage, or you're using diversionary tactics. So after a couple back and forths, I said something along the lines of, well, I hope you're happy. You've successfully pushed me away. There's nothing more I can add, so I'm going to go now. And I think I ended it with some comment about me not being the first person you've pushed out of your life, which is true. This individual has had multiple opportunities. They've been given multiple chances. People have taken a liking to this person. They've given him all the chances in the world, and he's blown every single one of them. If you know me pretty well, you probably know who I'm talking about. So I had to make the decision to block him, cut him off, and be done. And if we ever cross paths later in life, well, then so be it. Or if I ever feel like I miss him enough, then I'll contact him. But until then, I don't have the time and I don't have the energy to feel a certain way when I interact with certain people. And I don't mean to sound selfish or greedy, but this person really wasn't providing much. There wasn't much dialogue. And if, if they would present to me with an idea and I didn't like it or wasn't excited enough, then once again, I was an asshole. And so I just, I just made the decision. Nope, this isn't worth it. I spoke my piece. I hit the block button and that's it. We're done. I, you know, and I, I'm the biggest proponent of, we may not have the same opinion, but we can still be friends. And there is a line to that. And this, had you asked me three or four weeks ago, I would have said, you know, I probably wouldn't cut someone off. I would probably just stop engaging with them. But now if you ask me, I'm telling you to do what I did. And if you have people that make you feel a certain way, if they upset you and you know what they're going to say to you, cut them off. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how much history you have with this individual. You're not obligated to stay in contact with people that don't make you feel good. You should surround yourself with people who do the opposite, that make you feel good. And I don't mean cheerleaders that are rah-rah everything you do. People that question you, but they question you with integrity and they question you for your best interest. And they're interested to know your opinions, even if you don't agree with them and they don't agree with you. It's nice to discuss opposing topics with people who don't get emotional. Just, just remember that. If you're discussing a topic with someone and you're feeling emotional, take a deep breath, slow down, because the first person who gets worked up and acts emotional and raises their voice, you've lost. You've lost the whole thing. Another thing that this individual accused me of, and then I'm going to move on, was that Oh, what was it? It was something about, oh, you, you're just like the far right, predictable at every move. And I just thought, like, if you think I'm the far right, if you think I'm the far right, then you don't know me. You don't know my beliefs. You don't know how my social views. You don't know how open-minded or closed-minded I actually am. But I think things through. I spend lots of time. Listen, I don't have kids. I don't have a wife. I'm alone a lot. I think about things. I listen to podcasts. I take things in. I learn things that I'm interested about. That doesn't mean I know everything about everything, but I've thought through a lot of topics that people want to discuss because you can't hide from the media and you hear the keywords. And so I do the research and I think them through. And so to me, being predictable, which is what this person accused me of, is kind of a compliment because to me, it shows that I'm intellectually consistent. And by intellectually consistent, that doesn't mean that like I'm consistently smart. It just means that my thought process is the same. It's the same through each ordeal or each story. And in my opinion, that's a good thing. We should be predictable. When we're 43 years old, you should have a grasp on your opinions, your values, your beliefs, your motivators, your punishers. You should know all those things and you should be going forward in life. You are in your prime in almost every aspect of your life, except maybe physical fitness, which was in your 20s. 
But I think that if politicians were predictable, if they were transparent, it'd be a different ball game. But here I am being accused of being predictable by somebody who takes the opposite position as me 100% of the time. So if you disagree with someone 100% of the time, you can't say they're closed-minded because that could also apply to you. <laughs> so frustrating, man. But you know what? I feel better. Once I push that block button, it was a good feeling. So when in doubt, cut them out. I spent a lot of time thinking about this situation. And I thought, what are the main differences? If I could, if I could label or break down the main differences between me and this person, if I could boil it down and get all the fluff out, what, what could I attribute it to? And then I thought, okay, what, what is one question or how could you apply this same, this same thing or theory to the rest of the population? What dictates whether someone is successful or not? And when I, I know successful is a broad term, but in my opinion, successful just means you're living your life exactly how you would choose to or pretty close to it. Maybe it's not perfect, but you're successful. You've, you've achieved the things in your life that you're proud of your accomplishments. What, are you, what would you like to put on your resume? What are you proud of? What have you done? If you were a bragger, what would you brag about? To me, that's success. If you have a long list of things that you would brag about, that's successful. And so if you try to figure out what is the key to success or what is the common factor that people who are successful have the ability to say or do, what would that be? And, and there's a lot of statistics out there that say, well, you know, it really all boils down to a two-parent household, whether or not you had two parents. And I think that's a huge part of it. But like for me, I'm an outlier. I didn't grow up in a two-parent home. I grew up in a one-parent home. So what can we use or say to do to capture the people who, who became successful? And in my opinion, if someone asked me if I'm successful, I would say yes. So I have things that I could brag about if someone asked me. And I got to thinking... Well, I didn't grow up in a two-parent home, so I'm an outlier. I'm an anomaly. But what did my mom do different that a lot of the single parents didn't do that caused their children to not be successful? And so the conclusion that I came to was just this one question right here. Did whoever raised you have high standards and expectations for you? Okay, that I don't care if it's your mom, if it's your grandma, if it's your sister, uncle, brother, whoever. Someone raised you, or maybe no one raised you, but in which case you were a child of the state. And so your answer to this would be no. So if whoever raised you, did they have high standards and expectations for you? If the answer is yes, you probably went on to be successful. If the answer is no, you probably went on to be so maybe not so successful. And obviously there's the stories about the parents who had unrealistic expectations for their kids and pushed them too hard and didn't allow them to succeed on their own but, but nudged them too much. So they, they had the expectations, they had the standards, but they were a little bit too high. And that can have a couple effects on kids, but we're not here to talk about that today. The, uh, the, the whole point is that I think that if, if people would set high standards, high expectations for their kids, reward them when they achieve it, maybe not punish them when they don't, but make them aware that they didn't achieve the, the standards and I know this is a tightrope, especially because I don't have kids, but I can imagine it's a tightrope between being the parent, being the motivator, being the friend. I understand all that. I'm just saying that I think it's good 
to set standards and hold expectations. Set standards, hold expectations. You want to know how I know that this works? Because it works with dogs, and I'm a dog trainer. And because I can train dogs, that means I can raise kids, no matter what you say. (laughs) I know there's people out there losing their minds, losing their minds right now, saying, man, you you could train dogs. Doesn't mean you can train kids. They're not the same. You're not the same, and you don't know the difference. <laughs> That's where I am. That's where I am on that scale. I I've now find it funny. I no longer defend myself, and I'm just flagrant about it. <laughs> okay, enough making myself laugh. I'm going to wrap up today's show. I'm going to hop over to another podcast called Old Dog New Tricks with me and my homeboy, Harry, my 22-year-old cousin, and we break down all the topics of the day from a perspective of a Gen Z and a Gen Me. I, I, I don't know what generation I am, but I'm going to call it Gen Me. So it's pretty good. It's a little bit more off the cuff. There's not really no notes. There's no, there's no script. There's no, what are we going to talk about today? It's just like a phone call between me and Harry. So if you're so inclined, check it out. Old Dog New Tricks podcast on the Apple Podcast Network. If you got an Android, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe try like podbean.com. You could probably find it there. But I used to encourage people not to check it out, but I've since changed. So go check it out. It's another side of me that maybe you wouldn't see here. And if you don't know me, you don't know that side of me. So go check it out. I'm all about being transparent. I'm all about if people don't like my show or what I have to say, then just don't listen. Go. There's billions and billions and billions of podcasts out there. So just pick one you like. All right, I'm wrap, 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 wrapping it up. I appreciate you listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. One of these days, I'm going to change the title to something that's more relevant to what I talk about. But until then, I appreciate you listening. Life in Paradise. Go out there. Be transparent. Speak your opinion. Respect opinions of others. Don't shoot people down. Ask lots of questions. Have high standards for your kids. Reward them when they do things right. Punish them when they do things wrong. Because that's what the real world does to you. And if you don't teach your own kids, they're going to learn the hard way. Thanks again for listening to Life in Paradise podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Hopper. Keep it tranquilo. Oh.